This is the Happy Rant Sports Podcast, in which Ted Cluck and Barnabas Piper rant about old sports, new sports, sports books, sports movies, and anything else related to sports that they feel like. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined, as always, by my good friend in sports radio, Barnabas Piper. And Pipe, we are entering... Actually, we're in um, the middle of the happiest time of the year for me as a sports fan, which is NFL draft time. Uh, I love the NFL draft. The NFL draft is uh, it's perfect entertainment for me because um, it's a chance to think about new players. It's a chance to think about improving teams. And uh, I just love all the media that swirls around during NFL draft time. But I have to tell you, Pipe, um, how I had to spend day one of the NFL draft last year. So This, this sounds ominous to me. It is ominous, and I want your sympathy. So I'll, I'll just go into the story saying, you know, exactly the reaction I'm looking for. So, uh, but I think you can relate to this, given the, the kind of things you have to do from time to time <laughs> uh, in your professional life. So we send our kids to a classical school. It is a very good school, and we love it. Uh, however, this classical school once a year does a big fundraising dinner, a big lavish gala, uh, where they invite all kinds of people and a big speaker is this, in. To, uh, Time out. How lavish yeah. is lavish? Is this like hotel rubber chicken? Is this like catered overcooked pasta? Or is it like exquisite food? Dude, so this is this is somewhere in between hotel rubber chicken and and catered exquisite pasta. So my lady did all the desserts for it last year. So, okay, the so, desserts we, so we were, know those were spectacular. The desserts were spectacular. I've I've forgotten what the entree was. So um <laughs> so my apologies that to sounds about anyone right. who was involved in the entree. But uh but Piper, suffice it to say that this event, they did not consult me ahead of time uh, because this event happened to fall on evening one of the NFL draft. Well, apparently so, they also did not consult a calendar. It was awful, dude. It was it was Thursday night on a prime time. I was I was very bitter uh, the moment that I found out that it would be competing with the NFL draft. So uh, we used like the great room of a of a local mega church to host this thing. So immediately, as soon as I got there, I was helping my lady, you know, with with food stuff, because when she's doing a big catered event like this as a caterer, I become an employee of hers. So I throw on an apron and uh, I'm like her sous chef for the evening. But um, order of business number one was to find the facilities guy and get the Wi-Fi password uh, (laughs) for this particular mega church, because um, the keynote speaker for the event was this hipster theologian from from New York City. Should I say his name? Would it be bad if I said his name? Nah, go for it. Okay, so this guy actually has some history at Union. This guy used to be like... Oh, I know who this is. Yeah, this guy used to be like the rock star Bible prophet Union. He underwent a fascinating persona shift at some point during his Union time. This was all before my time at Union. But this guy was your typical kind of, you know, doughy, wrinkled, khaki-wearing Southern, Southern Seminary dude. But at some point, he, like, stopped eating and became, like, gaunt, super cool hipster type of guy. Um, his name is Greg Thornberry, and now he's the president of King's College in New York City. And they booked him to be the keynote speaker. I knew that he was going to do the engage the culture type talk that we've been hearing for the last 15 years. So full disclosure, I, I had little to no interest in the talk itself. Um, this this so, is my surprised face. This is your surprised face. So you, you know what talk I'm, I'm talking about, though, man. And have we not been hearing that for like a decade plus? And yet somehow it hasn't quite sunk in at the classical school level. 
<laughs> Dude, right. Maybe we're just a decade behind in, in classical. I think we're more than a decade. Dude, classical schools are stuck in like, you know, the, I don't know, C.S. Lewis time still. But uh, at any rate, this guy got up to give his talk and he was he was going on and on about the culture, of course. However, I was happily ensconced near the back of my near the back of the room, near my buddy from facilities at uh, at this local megachurch. And I was streaming the NFL draft on my phone, which was not quite as good as watching it in the in the friendly confines of my own living room. But uh, that was a pretty darn close second. So that's how I spent night one of the NFL draft last year. Really hopeful that this year is better. Now, do you do a party or anything for the draft? Pipe? What's your I, what's your well, draft situation? Not anymore because they've broken it up into too many different days. When it used to I know, be I hate when, it, when it used to be like all day, you started at 10 a.m. on a Saturday. Yeah, and that then was it, awesome. And then like the last three rounds were on Sunday. That yeah. was yeah. I would get together with friends, and you know, we would just load up on all of the junk food and the beverages and whatever. Yeah, and it was just like fat fest for a whole day of yeah. You know, it, was, it, was, it was a I huge party. I think it was rounds one through three or one through four yep. all day Saturday, and it was amazing. It was amazing, and teams would get like a half hour to make their pick in the first round back in the day. So, so get this, man. My parents were, my parents are old school. They're they're of the persuasion of if you're not throwing up or there's not like a limb dangling off you, you you have to go to school, right? Mm-hmm. But my parents, man, from time to time would actually let me stay home to watch the NFL draft. They'd let me stay home from school if it was on during a weekday, which it was during like the eighties and nineties. It wasn't the big primetime TV spectacle that it is now. So they would, they would actually let me stay home. I would, I would settle in on the sofa with all my newspapers and and draft memorabilia and listen to Mel Kiper. And, uh, man, those were some good times. Those were good. I felt like the king of the world on those days. You know, has Mel Kiper jumped the shark? Not for me, man. Not for me. I, uh, I, I, I go all in on Mel Kiper's podcast during draft time. I don't listen to it too much throughout the year, but I just like his voice. You know, it's sort of synonymous with the NFL draft in the same way that, you know, like Phil Liggett's voice is synonymous with the Tour de France. And, and th- there are some broadcasters who you just equate with certain things. Yeah. And for me, Kuiper will never, yeah, will never jump he, the show. He is, he is uh, to the draft what Jim Nance is to the, oh, most definitely. The Masters. The masters yeah. Or, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And even if what Piper is saying, even if I like patently disagree with it, I still like the sound of his voice, um, which which is an odd thing to say. So, Mel, if you're listening and I know you are, I, I just I just like the sound of your voice. Um, but, Pipe, we have we have a lot of draft related stuff to get to. I could talk about this stuff literally for days on end. Oh, so yes. we're going to have to we're going to have to keep it short here. But I want to start with. A very polarizing prospect. This is a prospect who, if you listen to all the hype in the media, all the media scouts, this guy has rocketed up draft boards. There's even some talk that he could go number one overall to the Cleveland Browns. I think this. I think this thing is a joke. I think it's the biggest Ponzi scheme, you know, nonsense in the in the recent history of the NFL draft. And of course, the player I'm talking about is Josh Allen, quarterback, Wyoming. Um, this guy. You know, this guy is the anti-analytics type player in the sense that he passes the eyeball test. He looks like an NFL quarterback, you know, 6'4", 235, runs like a deer, you know, can throw the ball 100 100 yards in the air. You know, he's he's got this, you know, Bunyan-esque arm. However, he has been consistently very bad at playing football. Uh, (laughs) Minor, (laughs) minor detail. It's a minor detail in that he's being drafted potentially first overall to play football professionally. Piper, what do you make of this Ponzi scheme that is the Josh Allen narrative? And nothing against the kid, man. I'm sure he's a yeah, great kid. It, he can't help it, but um, I'm just not buying. So, 
I have two thoughts on this. That yeah. one from the NFL executive side, uh, the other from the Josh Allen side. So I'll go Josh yeah. Allen side first. He has the same coach that Carson Wentz did. Yeah, that, which, which that, is a positive. That is the know. only reason he yeah. is being seen as a. It, it's essentially the glow of Carson Wentz that is making yep. him a potential top ten pick. Um, because because if he had just any other coach, he would be a mid-round developmental prospect because of all the physical talent and the fact that he's never completed 60% of his passes. You know who completed like 70% of his passes in college? Uh, Blaine Gabbert who? and Blake Bortles, two very bad NFL quarterbacks. Yeah. So he Allen, yeah. he's, he's resting in the glow of Carson Wentz's small school success. Now from the NFL executive side. Yeah, I side, agree. It's, yeah, I, yeah, hit me with that. I, they have the shortest memories in history because mm. they they look at a guy like this, you know, 6'5", 240 pounds, rocket arm, everything you just listed, and mm. they think we can turn that guy into a star. How many yeah. how many developmental superstars can you think of? So guys who guys who were bad college quarterbacks who were developed into star NFL quarterbacks. Man, it's a it's a short list. Like I'm struggling I can't honestly, think of any. to come up with any. I can I think mean, of I can think of guys who have bad measurables. So sure. like uh like uh Russell Wilson, for example. He's five eleven. Yeah. Drew Brees Dude, but five eleven. But he was they but were those great. guys were such good college yes, quarterbacks. They, they threw it all over the yard. They had signature games. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Russell Wilson had so many big games at Wisconsin and NC State right. and um, same with Drew Brees. You know, he put Purdue football on the map while he was there. Um, I, I can think Josh, of guys, I can think of small school guys who absolutely who had, but again, great cut co- like Carson Wentz, for example, great college careers, bad competition, but again, yeah. they had they had something great about them. But again, signature wins, big yes. game quarterbacks. Josh Allen, all he's done against Power Five schools is turn the ball over eight times, mm-hmm. score one time. Um, and lose a whole bunch. I and mean, his this name is, is Josh, as we discussed in a previous dude, podcast. Dude, his name is Josh, not, not which a strong is a quarterback name. Dude, no, it's it's not a strong name at all. It's a, it's a name that I have serious concerns that's about. Like a, that's like a brother-in-law level. name. That's not a quarterback. It's name. a brother. Like, hey, this is my brother-in-law, Josh. You know, he's a he's a youth pastor. You know, exactly. Super super good dude. I mean, yeah, good guy. He's a good good guy. guy. He's a he's a great guy, but not to lead not to lead your NFL franchise. So, man, I tell you, I've become. If not a fan of the Browns, I've become fascinated by the Browns in this offseason and with all the picks that they have coming up and with John Dorsey in the boat as the new GM. But, boy, I hope they do the right thing and and pass on Josh Allen. You know, let that be someone else's problem. Let it be someone else's project. You know, the guy, the guy Piper that comes closest to mind in terms of, okay, off the charts, measurables, you know, kind of an erratic up and down college career, didn't really do a whole lot, was Ryan Tannehill, who – you know, is basically a middling to low end NFL starter at this point when he's healthy. The you know, I don't think the difference is that he was a wide receiver for two years or a year and then turned yeah. into a quarterback. So like he was actually developmental in college, whereas Allen has been the star quarterback since he was like seven. That's right. And he's still bad at playing quarterback. Well, I mean right. bad relative to his competition. I realize he's better than sure. everybody who listens to this podcast and us. Most definitely, man. Most definitely. But I tell you, it, I struggle in that top half of the draft to find a good, a good even developmental fit for a Josh Allen. You know, I mean, if you're you, if you're you jo- can't you cannot turn an inaccurate quarterback into an accurate quarterback. It's never happened. You no, you can't. 
You absolutely cannot. I mean, you can't put in what God left out, you know, and, and yeah, the kid can throw the ball a mile, but um, I don't think he's going to be a good quarterback. I think the Browns should do the right thing and take Sam Darnold. But Pipe, this leads us to a conversation of another, uh, about another Josh. So another another quarterback who we have name-related concerns about, but a quarterback who his college coach, as it turns out, had concerns about. So Jim Moore Jr. Um, was the head coach at UCLA, uh, went on one of the NFL talking head shows recently and basically said that he would draft Sam Darnold over his quarterback, Josh Rosen. And he went on to explain that this was because Rosen was, quote-unquote, um, the first millennial quarterback, i.e., you know, he's demanding in certain ways. He There's concerns about his, like, country club pedigree, the fact that he was a tennis player and he likes to go yachting in his free time. Um, I actually love Josh Rosen on the field. Like, of all the quarterbacks I've watched this year, um, I like Darnold. You know, Darnold, I think, took a step backwards in terms of, you know, making wise decisions with the ball this year. But I, I liked the film that I saw of Rosen a lot. Um, Piper, what do you make? I'm, I'm especially interested in this kind of country club millennialness of this prospect. What do you make of that? And how concerned would you be if you were an NFL team? I think, I think it was, I laughed out loud when I heard those comments because they, (laughs) they, they sounded so, I mean, I don't even know what the word is just ignorant for lack of a better word. Yeah. I mean, just like, yeah, like, like, like stereotypical uh, caricature of an old man. You know, the, the kind of thing like when you, you when you read seven to, you know, seven years ago when people were like talking about millennials and they were writing in Entrepreneur Magazine or Inc.com. Yeah. They're like, well, the millennial generation are entitled people who don't work hard and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's essentially what he what he said about his own quarterback. Um, yeah. My favorite part of those comments, though, was when he said uh, Sam Darnold would be a better cultural fit for the Cleveland Browns than Dude, these Rosen kids would. are both from like Orange County, aren't yeah, they? they? I mean, they're they both up, from they like, grew up like six miles apart on the beach. Unless yeah, unless there's some exactly. like steel like rundown steel town on the beach where it snows a lot, uh, they're both equally the same cultural fit for Cleveland. Maybe um, maybe Sam Darnold's house was actually maybe he lived in like a rundown steel mill, and that, and that's <laughs> dude. It's so funny to me that that's. That's the paradigm still to this day in 2018. Like, oh, he likes to hunt and fish. You yeah. know, therefore he's a good cultural fit. You know, he's yeah. going to be the guy. And, and, it's like, and then, but like, and I guess that sort of dovetails with the money. Like, maybe Sam Darnold's family was was more middle middle class, and Rosen's yeah. was wealthy. But yeah, I'm fairly certain Tom Brady didn't come from a poor family, and I don't think Drew Brees did. And I don't think Kirk I know Cousins for, doesn't come I, from a poor no, family. I mean, Tim Peyton, Tebow did. Peyton Manning came from yeah. a. Uh, a pretty elite family. Absolutely. And Tebow. I would say the, you know, the like, majority of your, Tebow like, sucked at quarterback, but yeah, the majority of your like NFL quarterback prospects probably do come from higher end families because they've got to have untold thousands of dollars to send these kids from, to, yeah, to, to all, all like, the, like, to all like the passing camps, the, the passing the camps that they, camps and whatever. Yeah. That they go to since toddlerhood, yeah. you know, now, I you know, I realize we're, we're bordering on, Something much more cultural, which which is For the sure. white the white and black quarterback divide in terms of yes. how quarterbacks are developed. But all that like l- let's not get into that right now and simply yeah. say that none of that stands between Josh Rosen and being a successful quarterback. Um, right. I I think the the part that the part that made me puzzled the most though like most of it made me laugh. The part that puzzled sure. me was where the coach was like, he has other interests and he needs to be coached constantly. 
Right. As, as if what he wants is this sort of myopic Cro-Magnon mm-hmm. of a quarterback who just says, yes, <laughs> boss, every time the coach says run this play. Because his comment was he needs to understand why about yeah. everything. I'm like, don't you want yeah. that from your quarterback? Isn't that a sign right. that they understand how the whole offense works, what the defense is trying to do, how they're trying to combat, combat what the defense is doing? That – I guarantee Tom Brady asks why about everything. Same with Drew Brees. Yeah. Same with Peyton Manning. Same with Andrew Luck. Same with Russell yeah. Wilson. Same with you know every single good quarterback wants to know why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of those guys you mentioned, Pipe, are not the the, the archetypal kind of blue collar guys that are out like hunting no. and fishing with their teammates. You yeah, know, so I mean, Tom Aaron Rodgers is an Uggs wearing guy. fashion model. Drew Brees right. collects jewelry. I just learned recently he has like a multi-million dollar jewelry collection. Uh, Andrew Aaron Rodgers like surfs and hangs yeah, out with famous and, people and supermodels. You know? And yeah. uh, and Andrew Luck is a Stanford graduate nerd. Like he is a grade yeah. A dork who's yes. also exceptional at football. And none of that is a problem, dude. Right? We'd be hard pressed to find a guy who does fit the old school paradigm who's either starting in the league or even being decent. Like. You know who fit that paradigm? Jake Locker. I mean, yes. blue-collar family, liked to hunt and fish. I mean, and again, nothing against the kid. He 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 had the great physical tools, but, you know, that didn't work out. So, I mean, I think a lot of this, you know, kind of Cro-Magnon old-school thinking needs to just go out the window, and you got to evaluate um, when it's, what the it's, guy did. It's starting to happen because, you know, what's going to happen is, like, coaches who think like Mora are not going to draft Rosen. Coaches who think like... I don't know, Sean McVay or any of these other sort of next generation offensive coaches or like Andy Reid, for example, who's an old guy and still a creative coach. They're going to they don't care about this. They look at it and they go, what's his aptitude? How hard does he work? And then and then also the physical abilities. I think Rosen Rosen is the safest bet to be a successful quarterback out of all the ones this year. I don't know that he has the highest ceiling, but he's the safest bet to be good. Yeah, I agree, man. I think he's the most ready to to step into a situation and play right away for sure. And, man, he throws a nice ball. Um, there's a lot to love about Josh Rosen. I think he's better than Jared Goff was coming out of Cal. Um, you know, very, very good player. My only area of old man concern vis-a-vis Josh Rosen is his name. So in the same Fair. way that Jim Mora is, is concerned with his, you know, lack of hunting and fishing and his, his uh, unusual – kind of millennialness i'm concerned with his name so full disclosure but uh but i'm sure whatever team he goes to will be will be happy to work with him on that maybe we should call him yeshua instead I, i'd be okay with that actually since he's, he's got kind of a, since he's got a jewish last name let's go with yeshua rosen it would be yeah. sort of a, a, an out of the box name nobody quite knows how to peg it now now all of a sudden he's not held down by the the mediocre expectations of joshness dude i love it and we and we and we've got like yeah we've got a little like old school, you know, Judaism kind of situation in the league, which I'm, uh, which I'm down with. So, uh, pipe, let's do talk for a minute about white and black quarterback paradigms, because I think we're, we're running up against this in the draft with another guy that I know you and I really love as a player. And that's Lamar Jackson. Favorite player in the draft. Lamar Jackson is my favorite player in this draft. I don't know that he'll be the best, but he's definitely my favorite. Dude, he's the most interesting and he's the most fun to watch. And this guy truly Piper burned college football to the ground at Louisville to the degree that you can burn college football to the ground at Louisville, which is not a, you know, quote unquote, you know, elite or, or 
storied program in any way. Right. Um, he did it, man. Statistically, he did it. You know, he played for Bobby Petrino, which means he ran a real offense. Um, this guy has learned stuff. He's absorbed things. He, he um, has he has zero zero negatives against him in terms of character yeah, or right. stories out there of like him mistreating people on some you know Saturday night at the club. Like, there's none of this. Right. Josh which, Rosen has more of that than he yes. has. Yeah. I mean, there's, so, there's more Sa- concerns about Josh. Yeah, Rosen. A, a lot of these guys do. Um, and he has he and Saquon Barkley are the two who everybody looks at and they're like they're the they're the perfect gentlemen. Absolutely. And also wicked good football players. So given given that uh, Lamar is your favorite player in the draft, I want to I want to talk a little bit about like ideal fits for him. Where would you like to see him go? So I I said this when we talked quarterback drafts, you know, one of our first or quarterback prospects, one of our first sports episodes. So, you know, six months ago now or something like that. Yeah. I said New Orleans at the time because Drew Brees is under contract Mm -hmm. for a couple more years. But he's yep. reaching that point where at some point he's not going to be worth the money or he's going to retire or something. And Lamar needs to go to somebody who's an a, a offensive coach who's willing to shift his scheme to the talent mm-hmm. he has. Sean mm-hmm. Payton has shown the ability to do that. Absolutely. I think Lamar would also benefit from being in an NFL environment for a year or two to, you know, just to sort of get the speed of the game. Because it's it's a different game, and he's he's an elite athlete, but it's different using that athleticism in the NFL versus in college. Because running quarterbacks in the NFL need to be smart, or they get killed. Yeah, kind of like Robert Griffin did. Um, yeah, and so I New Orleans would be my favorite. Yeah, the yeah. alternative would be somewhere like Buffalo, mm. where they haven't had a good quarterback since Jim Kelly. Right, and. They have some decent talent, especially in the running game. Yep. And they could they could build an offense similar to what Houston did last year around a quarterback with some distinct flaws, but mm-hmm. profound talent and elite athleticism. And in fact, Lamar Jackson is a much better uh, athlete than Deshaun Watson. Um, yeah. And and equally as good of a thrower, I think. So I and then and in that case, he'd be starting from day one. And yep. I would love that too. So I think, but he, so again, offensive coordinator who's going to put him in a position to succeed and either a chance to play behind an elite quarterback for a year or two, uh, or a chance to go to a place where they, they kind of run a limited offense, but built around his skill set and where the fans will love him. Like Buffalo fans would, would think they, they, he would, was they the would embrace great, Lamar. I mean, they're they would completely, completely insane in general. Yeah. And they, yep. he would be, he would be their hero, and it would be fantastic. It would be fantastic. Mine is actually the Pittsburgh Steelers Oof. for really a lot of, yeah. I, dude, I think he would burn the league to the ground with Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. Um, you know, he would have a minute to kind of groom behind Ben Roethlisberger. He would step in for I the. Guess I just look at them and I'm like, I, I feel like they're a profoundly talented team and a really toxic environment. The impression yeah. I get is that it's all egos there, which is that's interesting. Like it's historic, very unstealer like historically, yeah, but historically yeah. they're like the blue collar, you know, grit and right. grind, just smash you into the ground, steel curtain kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even even all the way up until you know up through the Jerome Bettis years and everything. Yeah. But now it feels like there's always contract disputes. Ben Roethlisberger is a man of questionable character and whiny yeah. ego, and he's always like, maybe I'll retire, maybe I won't. 
Like mm-hmm. Antonio Brown seems like the only old school stealer on you know of their of their prominent players. Not I'm not we're talking about the defense as much. Yeah. Because yeah. he's he just seems like a insanely talented, insanely hardworking. He's like Jerry Rice yeah. except five eleven. Yeah, exactly. Dude, here's one for you for Lamar. What about Jacksonville? Oh man. Freaky defense, Leonard Fournette in the mm-hmm. run game. Um lost some of your weapons at wide receiver, so there's some question marks oh, there. I, but um I, I, they're another team, though, that I, I think he could be a great fit because the defense would take so much pressure off of him. And, yeah. they again, they showed the willingness to adjust their offense because they're like, well, we're, we stink when Blake Bortles throws 40 times a game, so let's throw 11 times a game. Yep. And yep. Uh, I, if he falls that far, there's a lot of dumb teams in the NFL. Dude, I'll lay one more on you. Um, if he's there when New England picks, does Belichick pull the trigger? I mean, you're I hitting the reset button anyway offensively when, when Brady goes. So. Yeah? I was just thinking about this earlier today because Tom Brady is, what, 40 years old. He threw for yep. 500 yards in the Super Bowl and was yep. one drive away from winning it. He didn't pull yep. it off, but yep. but he was within striking distance. It wasn't like they went out there and he was like, oh, yes, he's old and dead. Right. I think, But he that will they, get old at some point. Yeah, but I also think that they, they have two first-round picks now, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, they do. I think they load up and yeah. you know, try to make Bel- one more run behind Brady. Yeah, and Belichick might trade back and get you know seven more second round picks or something like that. But I think sure. they try to load up around Brady to take full advantage of the years he has left. Because here's the other thing: when Brady retires, it's hard to imagine Belichick sticking around for too much longer after that. Because he's yeah. seventy years old or something like that. I mean, he's not he's not a, a spring chicken, as they say. Yeah, I think those two are gonna they're they're gonna hit the you know, hit the sunset together for sure. So, so I, um, now I guess the question there, you know, they did the whole thing with, you know, Josh McDaniels, you know, did a whole bait and switch on the Colts and then went back there as the offensive coordinator, seemingly with the mm-hmm. impression that he would be the next head coach. He is an offensive guy. Also the guy who drafted Tim Tebow. So he apparently likes non-traditional quarterbacks. Yeah. Lamar Jackson is infinitely better than Tebow as a quarterback yeah. prospect. Yeah. So there's there's potential there. I just don't think they would do it in the first round. Yeah, no, I know. It seems unlikely that they would because they don't make flashy, you know, boomer bust type picks like that in the first round. But man, it would be intriguing and uh and I would love to see it. I would actually love to see them sign Johnny Manziel. Um so this is a <laughs> yeah. this is a little like, you know, rabbit trail uh object of fascination for me. But I watched uh every minute of the spring league. Um, I don't know if you were aware that the spring league was a thing that was happening that had Johnny Manziel in it, but it was. I was aware of it because Johnny Manziel was in it, not for any other reason. Yeah, it was real low five, man. So it was just four games total, I think. And, uh, they played, they played two weeks of, uh, of football there in Austin, Texas. And, uh, I, I have to tell you, Piper, Johnny, Johnny football looked pretty good. Um, you know, the game itself was kind of ragged. The, the O-line play was, uh, was very up and down, but Johnny Football was doing Johnny Football things, and uh, and it made me happy and it made me excited. And I think, you know, in lieu of so in lieu of sinking big currency into Lamar Jackson, you know, maybe you go bargain basement with Johnny Football. There's no risk at all. You know, he he doesn't cost anything at this point, and you know, you get some of the same playmaking and skill set that you would have with Lamar with a player who wouldn't threaten Tom Brady. So mm-hmm. Tom Brady doesn't feel you know, any sense of, oh, there's an heir apparent in the building, I think, with Johnny Football. But um, it's a guy that you get to try out. You get to kick the tires on Johnny Manziel for a, a very low 
uh, price tag. Do you do you have any thoughts on the on the Johnny Manziel situation, Piper? I really want to see Johnny Manziel in the NFL. I hope he Same. can. I I hope. Well, I would rather see Colin Kaepernick come back first because he actually deserves a job. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnny Manziel, after that, would I think he does? You know, I deserves a chance. I don't know. He pretty well burned his way out, but I hope somebody gives him a second chance because I would just love. To, I love. I love comeback stories. Yeah, I love reclamation stories, and yep. I loved him as a quarterback, and I really wanted him to su- see him succeed the first time. So, yeah, it would be great if he came back. I totally agree, man. I think it would be awesome, and and yeah, like I've heard him on a few podcasts, and he seems humble. He seems repentant. He's, you know, doing and saying all the right things right now, and I just love it economically. I mean, I love, I love a guy who wasn't a complete washout on the field who's only 25 years old, who you can get for nothing. You know, there's, there's yeah, absolutely, and that's, and that's to me, he, no doubt. He actually did some stuff with the Browns. Like, he yeah. was very undisciplined, and they were a terrible team. But he did some Awful. stuff that you're like, he, he's a player. I mean, absolutely. I don't, he might be Doug Flutie. Yeah. But, but Doug Flutie was an NFL quarterback, you know, sort of a backup spot starter. Like, if, if, yeah. if Manziel can get six more years in the NFL or eight more years as a, a backup who starts here and there, you know, starts the last four games after the quarterback, you know, starter goes down. That's, that's a massive success story given what he has done to his own career. Yeah, it's huge. Flutie was actually a pretty high end starter on the back end of his career. So he was the guy that, you know, forced, I think, you know, there was overlap with Flutie and Drew Brees Mm -hmm. in, um, in, in San Diego. Flutie was a starter. Flutie started some years in Buffalo. So, um, you know, he had a, he had a very nice career toward the end. And I think, I think you're right. I think a yeah. lot of the same skill set applies to, uh, to Johnny football. So speaking of, speaking of San Diego, uh, or should yeah. I say Los Angeles, the, oh, yeah. whatever the Southern California chargers, um, mm-hmm. I think that would be a great place for Lamar to end up. Ooh, interesting. Because a little heir apparent to Phil Rivers. Good, I like good it. defense, mm-hmm. um, decent skill position players, yep. new head coach who is a more creative offensive guy. And yep. Philip Rivers is 37, 38 years old. And again, sort of hanging in the balance. But yeah. but he's not so elite. Like yeah. Philip Rivers is the kind of guy, kind of like, I mean, he's he's sort of rare in that he's a highly successful quarterback who has won nothing, which yeah. means that it's easier for the team to pull the plug on him when the time comes. Whereas like Eli Manning is hard to do that with because he won Super sure. Bowls, despite sure. being not very good. Um, yes. Rivers is better than Eli Manning as a quarterback but has won nothing. And so if in a year or two, they're like, yeah, we just don't want to pay you anymore. All of a sudden they have this explosive weapon. Man, that's just a, waiting. He, that that's would be, a great fit. And they need to, they, they need to sell tickets because nobody cares about them. Right oh, they now. do. It's fast. I was, I was just going to say that. I mean, you hate to make decisions in this kind of headspace, but they have to do something because, you know, the team across town, the LA Rams, they're loaded for bear. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got all these exciting players on their roster, these big personalities. So, I mean, the Rams are a juggernaut from a marketing standpoint right now, whereas the the Chargers feel like a semi-pro team. You know, I mean, there's there's Very. nobody on their roster to get excited about at this even, point. Well, I mean, even though that's the thing is like they even though their defense actually is really good, they have they have, yeah they got Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram. I mean, they've got Keenan, some nice players Keenan Allen is yep. he has he has negative three ACLs and is still one of the leading receivers in the league. He's <laughs> absolutely he is slow. He has yep. no ACLs and he catches a hundred passes a year. Uh, yeah, because because he's a wizard. No, it's amazing, and he did it in front of twenty thousand people. Right, nobody was there to see him. 
you know, yeah, yeah. That's a that that franchise just in general is pretty fascinating to me. So they they need to make a splash, man. I think Lamar could be uh, a great fit there. So we know Piper that Lamar is your favorite player on the board. Who do you think is the best player on the board? Best football player, safest pick, Quentin Nelson. I agree, man. I he think took mine. let's talk so, about our man crushes on Quentin Nelson because I love this player. Well, if you, if if uh, if listeners want to read the truest man crush piece on Quentin Nelson, go just Google Robert Mays, the Ringer, <laughs> Quentin Nelson, and Robert Mays is one of their NFL writers, co-hosts their NFL podcast, all of which is excellent. But he yep. wrote a piece on Quentin Nelson that is just an effusive gushing praise of the most dominant offensive lineman in this class. Yeah. Um, and it's phenomenal. And I think, I think that's, I mean, offensive linemen have a reputation as being safe picks, yeah. even though the last several years they haven't been, especially not the tackles, yeah. but he's a guard and yep. he destroys everybody. He destroys guys who are the top in their class at defensive tackle and defensive end and linebacker. Yeah. And, uh, and he plays in cold weather and there's just sort of all of this and his name, Quentin Nelson, like that sounds like yeah. just. A, a reputation destroyer. He just makes a tough dude that you don't want a piece of. Yeah, I don't want yeah. to fight somebody named Quentin Nelson. No, thank you. Exactly. Um, so I think I think he is the best player in this draft as compared to his competition. I think Saquon Barkley is a super safe bet, but I don't yep. think he's so much better than the other running backs. Yeah, like I think Darius Geis is seven percent worse than him. I think mm-hmm. all the other offensive linemen are like twenty-seven percent worse than Quentin Nelson. No, I totally agree, man, and and. Yeah, I tend to be a fan of buying offensive linemen from certain schools, and Quentin Nelson does not go to one of those schools. However, um, he's dominant. But I mean, his film is just Notre freaky. Dame has put up put in some really solid offensive linemen the last several years. They have, yeah, they have. I mean, no, very I mean, few, defense, very yeah. few who are super dominant, but yep. multiple interior offensive linemen, a couple tackles, just yeah. guys, guys who are ten year pros. And like, what else can you ask for? You you want us? You want you know the next Jonathan Ogden or whatever? But yeah. but you you also can you know a plug and play ten year guard is really nice. Right, you would take Alan Fanica's career, and I think that's what you're looking at with Quentin yeah. Nelson. At on the, you know, he could be better than Fanica. Yeah, he might. You know, he might Fanica be Larry Allen. Stuff. Yeah, he might be Larry Allen, exactly. So I think if that player's there, you take him. And gosh, I hope he falls to the Bears. He won't, but um, I wish he would. <laughs> he, so, so Piper, he might because with with all of this mad craziness about quarterbacks, there's going to be yeah. like he and Bradley Chubb. Bradley Chubb's another one who's going to be, a, a, you know, an eight to ten year NFL, you know, borderline yeah. Pro Bowler, really good player. Yeah. Those guys could end up at six or seven because. They could five quarterbacks because the quarterback quarterbacks could get could get shoved to the top of the draft, whether or not they deserve it. So here's how the Browns could screw this thing up, man. And and I think we, <laughs> we 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 have we have a little bit of divergence on Bradley Chubb, who I like as a player. I uh-huh. liked his film. He was he's very dominant at NC State. Really nice player. But pass rushers are extremely risky. Um, also, you know, you look at the body of work of the last you know, handful of quote unquote elite pass rushers that have come into the league. And, you know, you, you could, you could argue that they don't make the kind of impact that, that, that we have come to sort of hype pass rushers as making. And I think in part because the game has changed. Yeah. So the ball's it's coming so, out quicker. It's so much quick passing now. Yeah. The game is so much more horizontal now than it is vertical. I think you've negated in a sense, the, you know, the Jadavion Clownies, even the Mario Williams of the world, these these elite, you know, blue chip freaky pass rushers, you know, you could argue that the impact wasn't huge. So I think if the Browns come out of if they come out of the first round having drafted Josh Allen 
and Bradley Chubb, that could be a disaster for them. Um, not so much because of who Bradley Chubb is in a vacuum, but if, if the they position, draft if they draft Josh Allen, it doesn't matter what they do with the number four pick. They could trade it for right. seven future first round picks. If they draft Josh Allen, they get eight more years of being a terrible team. It's they, he do. he is going to lose a general manager his job. It's right. going so, to happen, dude. If I'm the Browns, honest to gosh, man, if I'm the Browns, I take Quentin Nelson and Saquon Barkley. These are the two best football players on the board consensus i mean i think you don't draft a quarterback at all maybe not you know if if i'm not in love with one of those guys so if i have major concerns about darnold's ball security or rosen's millennialness or josh allen being bad at football or whatever like i just maybe i'm not pulling the trigger on those guys maybe i grab a mason rudolph in round two or maybe I, i know yeah i mean i know but uh, maybe I say maybe Mason, I say Tyrod Mason is my Rudolph's guy. ceiling is like Matt Schaub at the end of his career. Yeah, no, Mason Rudolph was a bad that was <laughs> that was a bad example. But there there are guys to be had who are who are more interesting than Mason Rudolph. But all I, of which to say, I think they I, have to take a quarterback. And, they and probably I, do. I recognize that the safest thing to do is take that guy at number one because then you get the guy you want. But here's so there's almost no chance that the three quarterbacks they like most go one, two, and three. Correct. Which means I'd be intrigued by taking somebody like Quentin Nelson first overall and Same. then getting a quarterback at four, kind of whoever's left. They Same. might get stuck with Josh Allen, though, in which case That's their the GM problem. loses the job. So I think, they, I think they have to take Rosen or Darnold number one overall. So I if you're the Browns, if, if you're John Dorsey, who do you take with that pick? i probably take Darnold. Yeah, I take but, Darnold too. I mean, I think in a real in a real world scenario, if I'm John Dorsey, I take Darnold, and then I take Saquon or Quentin Nelson. Yeah, at four, I, um, at four, I might try to. Here's the thing: they, I might try to trade out of four because yeah. of all the other quarterbacks. Like, I think they could. I think they. It's like, for example, Buffalo has two first round picks and is very interested in a quarterback. I might try to get their two first and a second and a future second or something like that. So, because the Browns are still. They they need some talent, especially in their defensive backfield. And so and there's some good corners and safeties who are middle round picks. So if they moved back to what is that, like twelve and twenty or whatever those picks are, um, yeah. I think I might do that. Because I'm yeah. not I'm Saquon's good, but star running backs A can be had later in the draft. Sure. And B are not game changers. Yeah, I mean it depends they're on They're good pieces, but they're not game changers. If you look at Saquon and you go We've got an Ezekiel Elliott or a Todd Gurley here. Yeah. Then I think I disagree, and I but, think you have to but take Gurley, him. But Gurley didn't do anything for that team for two years until an offensive coordinator came in who figured out, oh, how we can run an offense that does some different things. Like, yeah, he's not a and and do you mean do you trust Hugh Jackson? I don't. I uh, no, I don't. Yeah, no, <laughs> not a, not a, not as far as I can throw him. Of course, I don't because he's Hugh Jackson. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I I think it's and maybe it's maybe it's my own flawed thinking in terms of how can the Browns not screw these picks up? Because if you're the Browns and you've got this like rich, lavish history of screwing up draft choices in the first round, maybe I'm just looking for safety when I should, I should not be, but uh, well, I mean, Piper, they, I kn- they have the luxury of, of options. And I, I mean, the safest thing to do is to take Darnold or Rosen, number one yeah. and yeah. Barkley at four. I would say Chubb would be a great fit at four, especially because playing across from miles Garrett, that yeah. what we have seen is while a single pass rusher doesn't change a defense, 
an Pairing elite, two an, great pass an elite defensive yeah. line does. And those yeah. two guys are real nice bookends. So I think Chubb would be a good pick there. Um, mm-hmm. That's the safest bet. If they trade back, they're moving out of that elite talent range, and that's iffy yeah. because then you have to figure, you know, can they actually, you know, can can they judge some talent? And I'm, who knows? Yeah, and, and if you move back into mid first, I mean, you're looking at some really nice, like, off-ball type linebackers. Yeah. I mean, you got Roquan Smith, you got Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, there's some there's some guys there that that would absolutely help their defense, but but then you're yeah, you're getting into more of a nitty-gritty of judging talent and the Browns have have been startlingly bad at that. But uh Piper, I know you have to run to a meeting. I've got stuff I have to do, but let's talk for a minute about our favorite draft picks of all time for our favorite team. So, I want to hear your favorite Viking draft pick or mm-hmm. picks of all time and this this isn't necessarily the best Viking player or, or favorite players, but who have been your favorite picks of all time? My my favorite, well, my favorite pick, the, the pick that got me. I was skipping around like a little, like like a small schoolgirl playing hopscotch. Yeah. Was Adrian Peterson? I mean, oh, he was he was also their best running back ever. Yeah, and Second, also maybe the safest pick in. Yeah, it, draft. I think, I think you know, they picked. It, it worked number, on so many levels. I think they picked him number seven overall. Yeah. And he's who I wanted them to pick. He's who, I mean, yep. leading up to the draft, I just was hoping and hoping and hoping, and then they did. And then he completely justified the pick. And um, this, the NFL was different then, so a star running back actually did make a difference until the last Dude, couple years. He may be the career. NFL's last true workhorse running yeah, back. Yeah, it's like he, you know and, what I mean? he and Marshawn Lynch are sort of like yeah. that, that guy. The guys you could feed the ball to 25, 30 times a right. game, and they just yeah. You, you still you still hear analysts talk about a twenty carry a game guy. And I'm like, I, I don't think any running back got twenty carries in a game more than maybe th- four times last year, three times. Right. Whereas right. Peterson would get twenty carries a game if they didn't get him twenty, it meant they were losing by a hundred or winning yep. by a hundred. Any other time, it was twenty plus carries. So yep. Randy Moss is my second because I mm-hmm. at the time. I couldn't believe that he fell to the twenty-first pick. And Dude, it was simply, he was tremendous value in that draft. He, oh I mean, my god, he was he was like second in the Heisman voting at wide receiver, and for a wide receiver yeah. to be that recognized coming out of Marshall, yep, you knew that he was just a monster, a complete and yep. utter freak. And then yep. his first preseason game, he wasn't wearing number eighty-four yet. I think he was wearing number eighteen. You know, oh, sort of like it. one of those random. Preseason yeah. numbers just destroyed some terrible cornerback, you know, some third string cornerback, yeah. just made him look the fool. And and from then on, he was, you know, he was he had won my heart. Um so and then and Dude. then the, the third one was Matt Burke. Matt Burke, yes. Who was Center. a he was either a sixth or a seventh round pick out of Harvard. Harvard, right? Yeah. Yeah, Harvard. Also uh Twin Cities guy went to went to Creedon Durham Hall, same mm-hmm. same school that uh that Joe Maurer, the Twins catcher, went to, for example. Yeah. Creed and Durham has put so many guys into the pros in different sports. They're nuts. But yeah. um, but Matt Burke was, you know, he's an undersized center. But he anchored the Vikings line for about 10 years, including some of their very best lines. He's and uh, And was Great just player. phenomenal player. And, and he was, you know, he's a late-round pick. The Vikings have killed with late-round centers. They have. They think they've they've done sixth and seventh round centers have been have been anchoring their line for the last fifteen years. It's and interesting, man. You're looking for a really good. smart player there. You can kind of hide some physical limitations at that position. Um, you know, and, late rounds are a good time to shop. And it for was it was a position because the right of the guy. way defenses ran in the NFL that for a long time was undervalued. People people looked for smart but not mm-hmm. talented. Yep. 
And now they're starting to recognize that a, a, a talented center can make an offensive line really, really good. You Absolutely. Know, like the Alex Max of the world and, and Absolutely. That, that kind of guy. Absolutely. For sure, man. Dude, speaking of, uh, of guys wearing weird numbers in the preseason, so I was watching some 85 Bears preseason film <laughs> the other day. And uh, they they played as Buffalo in the preseason, as you do, as as one does. And um, they're playing the Bills, and it, it it was Andre Reed's first preseason with the Bills, and he was wearing number forty six. He had this baggy, yeah, he had this baggy jersey, number forty six. He was a he was either a late round guy or an undrafted free agent out of Cutstown State in Pennsylvania, and um, wearing number forty six, and he just he just lit the Bears up. So Frank Reich was a rookie. He was playing quarterback in the second half, slinging the ball all over the yard to Andre Reed, and uh, that was really fun to see. So Andre Reed, if you've got that number forty-six preseason jersey, um, I would love to have it for my uh, for my man cave. Um, my favorite picks, pipe. So I I got to provide a little context. So as a child, um, I was a Bears fan, but I was also a Colts fan because I grew up in like Cornfield, Indiana, just north of Indianapolis. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, would always go to training camps uh, in Anderson. That was where the Colts uh, had their their preseason training camps. And one year they had two first-round draft picks. And they used those picks on a defensive tackle named Steve Entman and an outside linebacker named Quentin Coriat. Oh, it was number Quentin one overall. Coriot. Dude, Coriat was so good. And Coriat had this college film, this highlight, where he like nearly killed a dude coming across the middle on a slant. Uh-huh. And just lit him up, just nearly took his head off. And, and Coriat just looked like uh, if, if God were to, like, whittle a linebacker out of a lump of clay, it would look like Quentin Coriat, you know, just physically gifted. And so and I was – And that name. Quentin is And the name, Quentin Coriat. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're not – again, you're not failing if your name is Quentin. Um, so I was excited about him, but I was really excited about Steve Entman because Entman was this huge – corn-fed University of Washington dude with a huge neck roll, you know, bench-pressed like a zillion pounds and was completely dominant in college and would have been completely dominant in the pros were it not for some neck and knee injuries that derailed him. So I I get really, really mad when I see these NFL bust, you know, top 10 lists that come out every year around draft time and they have Steve Inman on them because, dude, I can, I can tell you from watching, you know, his first year or two in the league, up close in Indianapolis, that guy was a freak show. Yeah, um, he would have he would have you know ragged all the league for a decade plus had he stayed healthy. So uh, those are those are my favorites. Uh, Quentin Corriott and Steve Entman, wherever you are, you are appreciated by uh, the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. <laughs> and but before we go, I do have yeah. one more that was you know because the ones I mentioned previously were all massive successes in their NFL career. This guy is is not. But, yeah, okay. But I was so happy when they made the pick. And yeah. it was um, Cordero Patterson. Okay. The Vikings, Talk about that, man. The, the Vikings, speedster the Vikings, from Tennessee. Yes. So 6'3", yeah. 220-pound wide receiver out of Tennessee, you know, known to be raw, lesson yeah. learned. Raw wide receivers yep. tend to be terrible. Um, uh-huh. But See also Troy Williamson. Yeah. See also every, that one? every Raiders yeah. draft pick at wide receiver ever. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So – but the Vikings had been really bad at wide receivers since Moss was traded. They just mm-hmm. they they had had Sidney Rice and Percy Harvin for a little while. Harvin was another one who I was super excited about because Harvin. But then he got traded, had some some headache issues. Gosh, man, and you guys issues. have had like, yeah, you guys have had a, a rash of those types of yeah. guys. So Harvin was Harvin was a, a an elite talent and. 
Patterson was supposed to be that except bigger. And they, they traded up in, up in the first round to get him, and I was so excited. In his rookie year, it was very clear he was raw, you know, sort of a special package player with some screens and kick returns and things like that. Yep. And then years two and three, he got worse. Yeah. And he went from like a nine-touchdown guy to a three-touchdown guy to a three-touch guy to yep. a on-the-Raiders guy to a he was just signed by uh, New England to be a special teams ace guy. Dude, yeah. Now, good for him for finding a niche in the league and for sticking yep. with it. He didn't become some diva who thought, I'm a number one wide receiver and I'm not going to do this. Yeah. But Dude, I was making so a half a million a year him. being a gunner yeah. on, on the punt team is still a pretty good living at the and, end of the day. So. And one of the best kick returners in the league, except that they've yeah. sort of done away with kick returning. But he, yep. he was somebody I was super excited about who was definitely not a star. Oh, that's a good one, man. That's a really good one. Yeah, the la- the last one of mine like that, again, from growing up in Indianapolis, was Jeff George. Um, yeah. My dad and I went to see one of Jeff George's first training camp practices as an Indianapolis Colt. And this was, this was a different era, man. This is when you could go to, like, you could go to an NFL training camp and, and you know, go right up to the edge of the field and watch practice. And uh, I remember thinking Jeff George came Helmet and shoulder pad and shorts practices. Uh-huh. And he had his helmet and shoulder pads on, but his shorts were like flowered Hawaiian shorts. <laughs> he just wore a pair of Hawaiian shorts. <laughs> he out just of the didn't practice care. And their head coach at the time was Rick Venturi. And um, my dad and I were standing, you know, we're waiting in line to go to the porta potty. And Rick Venturi comes out smoking a cigarette. And uh, he's smoking a cigarette. Jeff George is wearing Hawaiian shorts. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, man, this is pro football right here. This is pro football in the early 90s. You know, that's all you need to know. Oh, Jeff but George. He was Piper, another former Viking quarterback. Another former Viking. Man, he, he had a cup of coffee with like a dozen teams in the league, I think, including the Raiders. So, um, Pipe, we have done what we always do on this program. And uh, we have wandered to and fro throughout the NFL draft. Uh, we will enjoy it. We hope you enjoy it, too. And until next time, Cordero Patterson. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Hi, I'm Beckett Cook, host of The Beckett Cook Show. I lived as a gay man in Hollywood for many, many years until I had a radical encounter with Jesus 13 years ago. Since then, I've gotten my master's degree in seminary and published a book called A Change of Affection. On my podcast, The Beckett Cook Show, I sit down with fascinating Christian scholars and thinkers to address the lies of the culture and bring the biblical truth to bear on those lies. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search for The Becca Cook Show on your favorite podcasting platform.